Hi guys, welcome to NHBF Shines On. I'm Brooke Evans and just like you, I run my own salon. I wanted to have real conversations with some of my favourite people in the industry about the highs and lows in hair and beauty. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Adam Reed. Adam is one of the co-founders of the award-winning salon and hair care brand, Hersey and Reed. But he's done so much more than that. His work has been seen on runways in London and New York, and he continues to innovate and bring new brands to the market. He's also someone who's been very outspoken about his struggles with addiction and his own mental health, and we wanted to give him a platform to shine a light on those issues in the industry. That's why, today on the podcast, NHBF shines on award-winning hairdresser, Adam Reed. Hi, Adam. Thank you so much for joining us today on NHBF Shines On. Please, can you tell us all who you are and what you do? My name is Adam Reed. I am a hairdresser, first and foremost. I'm founder of Adam Reed London, Archive Headcare, Global Brand Ambassador for GHD. I'm a editorial ambassador for L'Oreal Professional and all-round hairdresser. I mean, that list should be shrinking, but here we are and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger every year. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. Everybody says that you should slow down. I'm a little bit like, it's definitely not my time to slow down. I also, I'm a real believer is it, if you love something, you've just got to say yes. You never know when the opportunities are going to sort of dry up. I'm I'm really lucky my opportunities are throughout my career have been very positive, but I'm definitely a yes man. A lot of people are like, actually, you need to get this balance and you need to do this and you need to do that. And I'm like, well, I need to do what makes me happy. I think that's the most important thing. I feel like that is something to live by. I mean, I I feel like I have that all the time. Everyone's like, why are you so crazy? You're never here. I'm like, but it's great. Whilst you can do it, whilst you can do it, I think do it. You know, I did have a holiday last week where I actually shut my laptop down and and what have you and that was a, it was absolutely brilliant and it, and it's something I will definitely do again but I think that as I've I've grown and sort of my career's grown I've really always understood my worth and I think that a lot of my worth comes from the fact that I enjoy it so much uh, you know it's always great to be on set I love sharing and I think that means I love going to work That's great. That is great to hear. I feel like I'm going to take it back to the beginning here. So you started hairdressing really quite young. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit how you got into it? How did you start? Of course I can. I I started working in a salon down in Somerset at 13 on Saturdays and sort of school holidays. And I knew instantly it was my vocation. I didn't have a good relationship with education in school at all. I hated it. Although I have recently caught up with an old school friend who said to me that if ever I was around, people were always laughing and messing around. And it was really positive for me. I had quite a tough time at school. So hairdressing was something that gave me a real meaning. And also what it allowed me to do was realise that being creative could be a career. You know, I was way more creative than I was academic. But I loved being in a salon. I pretty much finished school on a Friday, went straight in to start my YTS sort of sitting guilds on the Monday and have never, ever looked back. 
I really haven't. I don't find sort of life in general that easy from I have some sort of sort of mental health things. But as I've got older, I've really learned about them and I'm learning a lot about them. And now I've got an understanding of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've definitely seen I say your journey, your journey obviously went on a lot longer than I've been probably in the industry, but it's probably longer than you've been alive. <laughs> <laughs> now I tend to bloody forget I'm 50 next year. I still think I'm 21. And and sometimes like my younger team tell me what year, year they were born and I punch them clean on in the face. <laughs> Uncontrollable. Okay. Raining it back in. Rain. I feel like yeah. there's out of your response there, I'll have so many questions. But I guess like my one of my questions is taking it back to school. What is it about school that you didn't like? And why do you think that you are not latched onto the hairdressing industry? Why do you think you like the hairdressing industry so much, I guess? Well, do you know what, for me, I was born in London, in East London, but I uh, I was brought up down in Somerset and I was badly bullied. And I now realise I struggled with mental health issues. I've recently been diagnosed with ADHD, which makes massive sense to a lot of things. I also suffer from paranoia and depression and anxiety. So, you know, that's quite a mix. And in those days, it wasn't talked about. And I was also being bullied. And, you know, I found that hard because, like, honestly, it's such a dad joke. And I say it all of the time, but I say I'm I'm half hairdresser, half funny man, because <laughs> I think <laughs> I'm really funny. <laughs> but one of the things that I realized I was good at was doing hair and laughing yeah. and helping to make people laugh. So I have started to really realize that comes with my mental health. But at school in the late 80s, you know, academia was all you did and all you learned and all you knew, really. Creativity was, it happened. But one of the things that I've learned is, you know, society it has a lot of responsibility and actually, you know, you're told to do things and be certain ways. And especially I would say in the last couple of years, I've really learned that society has a lot to be held accountable for. And actually, I'm a much better person when I'm not so bothered about the rules that society have given us when I'm actually more myself and more empathetic and and nurturing and encouraging and honest. And I think society makes that really hard. I think social media has made it even harder. Like I'm really glad I was a, a young hairdresser in the late 80s, early 90s. But society's made that so much harder. And do you know what? One of the things that I love about the fact of being a hairdresser then is I don't think you would ever be able to stereotype me. And I think that came from the fact that hairdressing and the industry allowed me to be me. Mm -hmm. And I feel really lucky. You know, I, I, I don't put work up and I don't do work that I don't want to do or I don't think fits me. I'm really honest and true to myself. I know that we've spoken in the past um, when I've been speaking to you with Fame Team about mental health, really, and your mental health. I think it's really important as an industry that we really get behind this. And it's something that we can openly discuss with other people. I think that the industry is really behind it. And I think it's opened up a lot more topics of mental health and people being a lot more open with each other. 
Well, do you know what? I think it was ignored for such a long time. And actually, when I moved to London in the 90s, it was so competitive. You know, I know when I talk to some hairdressers, it's like, did we really work like that? Uh, those hours, you know, it was like, well, you have to do this to learn. I'm a massive believer and I'm where I am today because of the work that I put in. I mean that personally, like I'm not one of those I hate the phrase celebrity hairdresser. I don't go out to garner awards or, you know, people to tell me I'm good. I'm very happy doing what I do. But I do think it was hidden. It was brushed under the carpet. But I think this globally, I don't think this is just a hairdressing industry thing. Me talking about it came from a breakdown that I had had. And I felt the need to not have it in my head. Not many people know, but I only have one social media and it's Adam Reed. I don't have a work social media. I don't have a, a private social media other than my family. I adopted my son and we set up a private family. But other than that, my social media is my social media. I'm a lover, huge lover of media in itself. And I believe it's been one of my catalysts to my career. But actually it was something, you know, we talked about pretty things and lovely things and beautiful things. And we talked about craft and creativity. But what we didn't talk about uh, that often what comes with that is maybe ADHD, maybe um, depression, maybe anxiety. And actually, it was an embarrassing thing. I was embarrassed to talk about it. And I'd suffered it my whole life. Until the day I spoke about it. And I was like, thank the Lord. I thanked it for myself. I thanked it for the reaction. I do get a lot of trolling about it. It's where I'll get a lot of negativity. So you have to manage that. I'm becoming quite a hippie in my old age where I'm like, does it make me happy? Am I making other people happy? Is there a positive to this? And yeah, actually, do you know what? I'm going to do it. Does it make me sad? Does it make me anxious? Does it cause me stress? Then no, I'm not going to do it. And I'm getting these people around me that seem to feel that way. If you want to work really hard, of course, work really hard. Your work-life balance is your personal work-life balance. It isn't what somebody else tells you your work-life balance is. And that's something I'm really learning and really beginning to share. And I think it's resonating because, of course, you know, I hear people saying, but I only want to work two days a week and, you know, I want to make this amount of money and I want to be doing shoots and shows. But if you are getting burnout, if you are finding that you're saying yes to jobs that you don't agree, if somebody offers you a job and you want to do it and they don't have a budget, then barter and come up with a compromise. You know, I, I've always done this. Thousands of jobs I've not been paid for necessarily in cash, but I'll get a shoot that I really want to do, or I'll get a piece of clothing. And, you know, that's also a way of creating a business. That may not be right for everybody, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. Mm -hmm. It just means it's not right for everybody. I do listen a lot now to people saying this is how you should do things. And I'm like, well, you're saying this is how you want to do things. Pick and choose. You know, I've always pick and chosen. I worked at Charles Worthington for a long time, but I'd look at what Anthony Muscola and Trevor Sorby would do. And I'd take my inspiration and I'd try to make that my own and I'd go and do courses and what have you. But they were, they were my choice to do them. There was a lot of time that I'd get on a job and I'd be like, I've only said yes to this because of 
fear. Yeah. And I really regret those things. But the fear wasn't fear of mine. It was fear of, of how I had seen things happen and what I had heard, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, before we touch on to obviously the product side of it, at what point did Salon arise? Like when did that become a thing? Well, obviously I never ever have not worked in a salon. So even when I came to London, I was never a session stylist that didn't work in a salon. I had three jobs when I came to London. I needed to do that to be able to afford to stay up there. And I loved the salon environment. I could never see myself not working in a salon. I then went to New York to set up Charles Worthington in New York. And I really enjoyed that process. What's really important to say here, everything that I've ever done, I've done with people around me. I'm not talking like, you know, I went to New York to set up Giles Worthington in New York. Of course, I bloody didn't do that on my own, (laughs) but I was hugely instrumental in it. But I had an amazing team of people. My career is absolutely driven by amazing people. And a lot of them have been around me my whole career. Advice, help, coming and assisting me when nobody else can do it doing it for the love. The session world was too lonely for me and too frenetic. And now I look back, I think that had a lot to do with the fact that I was undiagnosed ADHD. We set up Percy and Reed and that journey was amazing. We did change the way people looked at hairdressers. You know, I was one of the first hairdressers to do the X Factor as a known hairdresser. I was a hairdresser who did main shows at Fashion Week and I had done since the early 2000s. I was doing shoots for high-end magazines, but also the Sunday supplements. But I also feet on the ground doing clients, then doing L'Oreal Colour Trophy shows. You know, it's one of my proudest things. I've been involved in nine colour trophy shows. You know, and when I do something, I put my all in. But salons for me is a way for me to have that community that I rely on. Then I decided my mental health really took a dive and I knew that I really had to change. And that's when Adam Reed London came about. Then we went into a pandemic. It's like it couldn't really have been worse timing. But again, what I feel like I've come out of it is with an amazing group of people who you know that are there for you and a really different way of thinking about my work. I left Percy and Reed in the middle of 2019. And I believe the world is a different place since that date. But I believe the hairdressing industry is unrecognizable. But for me, having a salon that I employ people, that I give that security, that I have that security, that I have those people around me all of the time is my, honestly, really is one of my proudest things. And when I was asked, do I wish I hadn't opened the salon? I was like, categorically, no, I'm. it's the best thing I did. It became evident that people really, really need those spaces, those communities and those people. And us as creatives and hairdressers, we need what we get back. I I say all of the time, one of the hardest things for me through lockdown was not seeing my clients and not having a laugh and a a cry if I needed a cry and a conversation. You don't get that anywhere else than a salon. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, when did you open, Adam? When was it? February 2020. Yeah, I was December 2019. Like it's, it's the maddest journey, isn't it, ever? When we shut down, I would say we were officially open for 
five or six weeks. Mm-hmm. We didn't have all of our team. We didn't have the support. We, you know, it was a tough, 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 tough time. And we were a brand new business. It was horrific, really. But I don't really like to talk about it because, again, the positives that have now come out of it are amazing. And I think it is behind us now. Yeah. Um, and I think we're going to have to learn to live with it. Of course, we are. And obviously, the past two years have been difficult for everybody. What advice would you give to people who are still trying to recover from lockdown and all the stress and anxiety that went along with that, really? To talk about it, to get it out and to get whatever you feel about it out. If you feel let down by people, whether the government, your clients, whoever, then talk about it. Don't keep it in. Sometimes just getting it out is really key. And I think I I really believe, and it's something that I'm working on on a couple of different projects at the moment to make sure that what I do, I do authentically. I think that the outcome from a mental health perspective of the pandemic, we haven't even touched the tip of the iceberg. And I think it's going to be ongoing. And I think it is going to really hit our industry because I think as creatives, a lot more people are going to feel that pressure. So my big thing is to talk. What was the moment in your career that you thought, I've done well, I've made it? I've never felt that. Okay, nice. No, I've never felt that. Do you know what? I've always been proud of my achievements. And this is the God's honest truth. And it comes, I think, down to ego a little bit. And I think when you're bullied, your your ego is often the thing that takes its toll. Mm -hmm. I'm proud that I'm asked to do work. I'm proud that, you know, winning hair icon at the most wanted in 2015, being nominated for British, doing the Matthew Williamson show in New York, doing Madonna's hair. That was massive. That's pretty massive. Personally, that was a big one. (laughs) Where were you when you got asked to do Madonna's hair? Like, can you remember the moment? Yeah, of course I can remember that moment. I, at the time, had moved to New York to set up Charles Worthington. Streeters were in our building. So we were in the Prince Building in Soho in New York. So we had Streeters, we had Bliss, Spa. There were it's an amazing building and it's still it's still incredible. And I remember meeting Robin, who worked at Streeters, who was one of the directors in America. And I started to assist Luigi Mourenu. And I loved Luigi's work. I didn't want to assist. I love Guido and Eugene and, you know, I I absolutely love those. But at the time I was like, I want to assist somebody who isn't so prolific because I want to learn. I want to be more part of a team. It's exactly why I went to Charles Worthington when I moved to London. It was because it was smaller, but I could see the growth. And I had done things. I'd done a couple of fashion shows, a couple of the shoots with Natalia Vodianova, Linda Evangelista. These are assisting Luigi. Then one day Robin came down and went, can you assist Luigi on a Madonna video? She's doing a video of Britney. I was stood in the salon looking at her. And I was like, are you kidding me? And I was trying not to be too excited. And I had been doing Uma Thurman's hair there and Joan Jett, who I was a big fan of. But I was like, Madonna's my idol. Yeah. Anyway, she said, you need to go out and see him this afternoon. You need to take some Kerastars out at the time she was using Kerastars. Nicola Clark was colouring her hair and Nicola had done her hair, who I hugely admire. And we went to the rehearsal studio and I didn't talk to her that day. Then we went the next day and we did the hair. Then Luigi was flying to Paris to do Victor and Rolf and it 
overran and they said, you need to go back. And I remember driving from Silver Cup Studios in Queens, thinking, I'm doing Madonna's hair on my own tomorrow. Amazing. We are almost, well, we're trying to wrap up, but I've just got so many questions. Sorry, I'll keep spilling them out. And so my questions are, obviously, I want to touch on archive your product range, because I think that's a very important part of who you are now and obviously how it's got there. Yep. And then I also want to know where you're going to be or where you aspire to be in five years times yourself and your products. Do you know what? The second one I really can't answer. Okay. Because I'm so enjoying this journey. I have the most incredible team. So that this is the way I see myself in five years. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you, but I know it's going to be in a really happy place. And Archive is, so Arc is Adam, Riley and Kenny. That's my son and my husband. And when we rescue, rescued... <laughs> I've got five rescue dogs and I talk about <laughs> Riley like he's a rescue dog. When we adopted <laughs> Riley, we learned so much about your head and what goes on in there and what you can do. And that's where Archive came from. It's called Archive and it's spelt the way it is because of Adam Riley Kenny. We Everywhere you look, there's little arc things and arcs, but there's also the rescuing element. And I believe that Riley coming into our life allowed me to really turn my mental health around. Kenny was the catalyst to that. But Riley, Kenny and I together were the thing that makes me want to be happy. And the product range, I love product. And after Person Read, I'd always said, I'm not going to do it. I get to work with L'Oreal, Professional, it's a dream. I get to work with GHD. I get to work with all sorts of other brands. You know, I, I'm a product junkie. And when I realized I had a breakdown in the first lockdown, and to cut a long story short, what got me round were the little things like having a bath fragrance, really cleansing myself because I was I was finding things really difficult and just to get up and have a bath, which I love, yeah. I found hard. And then Riley had done a couple of things and it was making sure my bath smelt the right way and brushing my hair, getting my manta and just brushing my hair. And it was the touch element. And we had learned when Riley came to us that sometimes bonding, it could just be rubbing a lotion onto a elbow or a wrist. And I was like, this is head care. This is head care. And if I was going to do something, it had to have a purpose. And the purpose here was head care. We have to do this stuff. We have to wash our hair. I want people's hair to look nice. But do you know what? If all you can do in the morning is get up and wash your hair and it smells nice, that's it. That's absolutely fine. You do that. This leads us on to our quick fire questions, um, which I think there's some Do of these. Do I have to keep the answers quick? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is the idea. I think you'll find this one easier. What is your favourite new beauty product? Metal Detox. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, do you know what? I love the results of it. I don't particularly like the name Metal Detox because I find it a little hard to converse. I find the result of the product insane. Okay. Good one. Yeah. What's the worst haircut you've ever had yourself? When I first moved to New York, my hair was going grey, but the top was dark and I frosted my tips. <laughs> And they were yellow. Yes. Love that. And so I had grey hair and yellow frosted tips and sideburns that sort of came down to here. So I'm showing you the bottom of my ear. I feel like I've seen photos of this though. There's a picture of me with Nicole Richie and I've got that hair. 
And when we post this, I'll announce it with that picture of me with Nicole Ritchie with the frosted tip. Okay. Can't wait to see that one. What is the worst haircut you've ever given? Again, so many. But I tell you what, once I was still in mine head. So I would only have been within six months of training and I just got my new pair of scissors and this lady came in and said she wanted a haircut and I said I could do it and I pushed the blade of my scissor into her neck so much so I had to pull it out and I picked up at the time it was L'Oreal modeling directions wax and I took a scoop of wax and put it on it to try to stop it bleeding (laughs) oh my gosh and I carried on cutting her hair and I'm not joking it was proper bleeding she had blood all over her blouse I had blood on my hands that I kept wiping off I was shaking I did a really nice haircut it was just on one leg and she never complained she never came back in she must have known we never spoke about it either that was it end of conversation don't ever speak about it again yeah I've got to say that I think that's the best response we've had on that question I think that's going to take a hard one to beat For everybody who is wanting to listen and are listening, where can everybody find you? What is your social media? Adam Reed Hair. So Adam Reed Hair is where you'll find me. It's all personal. So none of these have any sales or affiliate stuff on. It will, of course, have work that I've done. Archive Head Care is product. Adam Reed Salons are salons. And then, of course, my wonderful team. Follow my team because they're a really great, great, great team of people. It's one of my most privileged things within my career is to have worked with the people that I've worked with. But Adam Reed Hair is my basic stuff. Thank you so much, Adam, for joining us on the podcast. That's it for today's episode of NHBF Shines On. In our next episode, we'll continue to bring you the stories of the brightest lights in the hair and beauty industry and bring you the personal insight that could take your business to the next level. Until next time, goodbye.